Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Business Chef Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Sean Boucher, and today we are talking to an industry giant. Uh, This is a man who has been in the restaurant and finance industry for decades and has spoken and has done a lot of things and worked with just about every major player out there from Burger King and McDonald's to... Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings and IHOP and just a ton of, of places out there. And you'll hear that when we, when we speak to him. But one of the things that I think every chef or every restaurateur or everyone who is getting into this business wonders how to grow and when to grow and what do I need to do that, especially when it comes to money. How much money do I need? Uh, where do I get that money from? And Dean will talk a little bit about that to us. So without further ado, please welcome the one, the only, Dean Zuccarello, CEO and founder of the Cypress Group. Dean, let's talk about how you got into this business and what makes the Cypress Group a little different than other venture capital firms out there. Well, we, we started, I started in this business um, forming Cypress in 1990 um, and came at it, you know, differently than a lot of folks. Uh, some folks from investment banking come from either another investment banking background or, or private equity. Um, I actually came through industry. So I was working at Burger King Corporation down in Miami at the corporate headquarters from 1983 through 1990 um, and through a series of management changes and ownership changes. Um, was exposed to a lot of different things, you know, in my career at Burger King. Um, and one of the groups that reported to me of VP of Finance and Business Development was the Merger and Acquisition Group. And so we had I had direct responsibility for all the merger and acquisition activity that occurred at Burger King Corporation. And that kind of opened my eyes to that marketplace and um, and and, and that's really where I kind of developed a passion for that side of the business. Uh, so in 1990, after Burger King had gone through a, a hostile takeover from a uh, from a British conglomerate, uh, he was deciding kind of what I wanted to do career path wise, and decided that this was an area for me that that felt like it was a great opportunity and and we were starting to see a real change and evolution in the size and scale and scope of franchise businesses where historically they had been mom and pop businesses and we were starting to see more multi-unit franchisees of larger size starting to happen so I I could see the direction the industry was going and thought that there was a place for an advisory 
every firm to specialize in that group and in, in that segment of the industry. So I, I formed Cypress Group in 1990 with that specific focus, um, and that was really how I got into it. And you know, 28 years later, we're you know we're still kind of the leaders in that segment. So, given your past experience and where you're at currently with Cypress Group. Um, Tell us a little bit about some of the more notable clients that you have and maybe some of the focuses that the Cypress Group has that might be a little bit different or might be unique to your firm. Sure. Um, so our, our focus is fairly narrow. Um, we do franchising in general, but you know a, a significant majority of what we do is in the restaurant industry. Uh, and so within the industry, you know, we you know, we work with franchisors and franchisees on different types of transactions. So all your name brand franchises, we will you know a lot of our transactions are merger and acquisition transactions. Well, where we will be representing um, one franchise, a large franchisee of a system that wants to sell their restaurants to another franchisee. Um, so kind of a typical bread and butter transaction, you know, a Burger King or Wendy's or Taco Bell franchisee with 40, 50, 60 units decides they want to retire or do something else, they want to sell their business, we manage that aspect for them. Um, We also work with independent brands that may be either franchisors or or not, they might just be company operated, where the kind of not early stage but advanced stage companies that are looking to either run a sell-side process or bring in an equity partner or some type of financial partner to help grow those firms. So uh, we'll work with those types of companies as well. And then kind of a third bucket, um, which we've achieved a lot of notoriety on lately, is we'll do, we've done a lot of, quote, refranchising initiatives and and other corporate or franchisor-based initiatives where the franchisor of the brand will actually engage us and bring us in to sell off a good portion of their restaurants. And so we've done that for the the Wendy's Corporation. We sold about a thousand of their restaurants. We've done it for, we were engaged by Buffalo Wild Wings to do that. Uh, we've done it for TGI Fridays, Burger King Corporation, um, and, and several others. And, and in, adi- in addition to that, we've also been engaged to do um, kind of some specialty uh, specialty engagements by franchisors working with their franchisees as well, whether it be financing or uh, or some other restructuring work. So obviously, you have quite the resume and quite the repertoire of clients that you're working with, from independents to large corporations and everyone in between. Given your scope of work or given your experience with everything that you've done um, with these major players and uh, independents alike, what are some things that before they engage your services, they can do to really be ahead of the game? Um, so, you know, what are, what are some principles or things that they can put in place that really helps them make your job easier 
Or, you know, what are some common mistakes that they make that maybe make it a little tougher for you uh, when it comes to raising capital or selling the business? What are some things that they can either do proactively or maybe avoid doing uh, on the mistake side? I, I think as it, you know, your question on capital raising activities, I think one of the biggest you know, mistakes that we see, um, and this is probably more applicable to franchisees than it is franchisors, is either they they don't secure enough capital in a capital request, whether that be you know equity with an equity partner or even on a, on a debt financing that sometimes they um, you know they come to realize after the fact that they needed more capacity. Um, but in addition to that, just focused on more focused on the cost of the financing or the cost of the capital rather than finding the right type of capital. So, you know, in many cases we'll see, you know, franchise clients be overly focused on just the rate of the financing and not really think about, you know, kind of some other bigger picture structural things where, where some, where some financing that might be slightly more expensive might be a better fit for them. Um, so I think that's, that's number one. In terms of kind of an M&A process, the second part of your question, um, you know, we always, you know, from a self-serving standpoint, always suggest hire a professional. You, you, you really need to hire a professional to manage this. You know, I think oftentimes we feel like um, um, that, that clients have this perception that, that they have the ability and they have skill set as as entrepreneurs and professional business people to kind of negotiate their own transaction, and more often than not, we see that end in disaster. Uh, we, we we see kind of the, the more skilled companies understand the value of professional um, professional representation and and go that route and end up with a much more successful transaction. I think some of the short sighted people will oftentimes look at the cost of it and not kind of the benefit that's uh, that's achieved by by hiring professionals that's that's you know kind of the the number one thing i would i would focus on um and then secondarily is as you're thinking about you know, a process, you know, to, to think about it in a very strategic fashion and not a knee-jerk reaction. So if you're, you know, you should be thinking about what your, your, your exit strategy options are, you know, at least a year, if not longer, before you actually start putting them into place and not, you know, kind of a spur of the moment. Um, type of a decision. That way you can start planning for it appropriately and, and taking the steps necessary to, to kind of achieve a successful transaction. So even though you work with some of the biggest and the brightest and the best and people that are maybe a little more established in uh, the business and, and their track records and things, let's let's go back to someone who is either starting a restaurant or starting a concept, but at the end of the day, their goal is to sell it. And whether that's through an M&A, a merger and acquisition, or whether that is through just straight up selling it and taking a, a lump sum and walking away, what, in your opinion, 
would you suggest to those operators or to those people who are really wanting to create their own concept, their own brand, and then eventually move forward from that? What are some principles or some things that they can focus on from the beginning that will really help them in in the long run or when it comes time to sell it or merge with someone? Sure, that's a great question. I, I, I you know, it's it's obviously a multitude of things, starting with the the basic concept that they've developed, to to make sure that that the concept is is a is a viable one, that there's consumer acceptance for it, and that you know, financially, we always look at what we call kind of the four four wall unit economics, that whatever that concept is makes money. So, which you know seems obvious. Um, but in some cases, you know, people start with with a passion for an idea, and there's a disconnect between that and how it translates into you know the financial equation. So I think that as as they're you know the, these young concepts are thinking about the development of their concept, obviously it needs to have the consumer appeal, but they need to think about the the, the financial part of the equation. So that's kind of the obvious step one. Step two is is the thought around how do you grow this business so th- there's that awkward step from when you're in you know, you're an early stage company to whether you're in your first unit or your first four or five you know how how best to finance that and raise capital for that which is always challenging but but how do you grow that kind of to that next level whether that's to 10 units or 15 units or 20 units to a point where you can start thinking about either professional or more sophisticated forms of equity capital, equity partners, or possibility of selling the business, things like that. And and so I think that that you know that that touches a number of different areas. It, t- it touches your capitalization. You know how you can secure capital to get to those points. And once again, I think this is an area that that companies oftentimes underestimate. You know the the amount of capital required to do that, um, but also the infrastructure. Um, these things are very much a people business, and it's, um, I don't want to say it's easy, but it, it's it's easier if you've got, you know, a, a small group of talented people to get the first several or first three, four up and going and off the ground, but to take it to that next level, whether it's a company operating model or a franchise operating model, to add that infrastructure to to allow the company to be in a place where it can take advantage of the growth. And and, and that's you know, that's again is can be challenging because you're an early stage company, you're not making a lot of money, uh, you've got to dig deep into kind of building infrastructure you know, an overhead uh, when you're not generating a lot of capital. And that's why, you know, having <clears throat> having the right type of capital up front, you know, patient capital, understanding capital, and enough of it, I think, is really, really critical, um, you know, for these companies. What a novel concept. Create a restaurant that makes money and people want to invest in it. Hey, imagine that. But I think, to your point, I think a lot of people look at maybe the wrong things or the wrong factors when it comes to borrowing money or when it comes to growing a concept. They look at 
the rate of things versus, uh, you know, some more, more important factors. And you're right. This is a people business and being able to have an infrastructure full of good people is really attractive to any investment group. Um, from my, my standpoint, what I've seen anyway, Dean, you've definitely given us a lot to think about today. Um, I know there might be a listener or two out there who wants to possibly engage you or your services. How do we do that? Uh, well, certainly we're we're on the web. Um, so our website is uh, Cypress Group, C Y P R E S S Group, Biz, B I Z. Um, you know our our central phone number three zero three. Six eight zero forty one forty one. Obviously, do a Google search. You know, we're we're pretty easy to find that way. And um, you know, any one of the principals of the firm can 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 handle the question. You know, the initial inquiry from uh, from the prospective client, and and we always kind of work on things and in a team effort here. At least two two principals per transaction. So um, you know, we get we get new inquiries all the time and can always deal with those and find the right uh, the right home for them. Dean, you're a good man. Thanks for spending some time with us today and sharing some insights into the good old world of capital. And uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate your time. One of the things that I want to touch on real quick before we end this podcast is how important it is to really start on the right foot when it comes to building a brand or it comes to growing a brand or it comes to creating your own concept, there is, there is something to be said about starting out right. Um, I know a lot of people like to bootstrap things and I think that there is a time and a place for that. But I also think that if you have a passion and desire a know how, and you can really get after it, I think that there is a way that you can borrow money and really kind of make things a little easier on yourself. As much as challenging as it could be, I'll say as challenging as it can be to borrow money and to feel the weight of having that money on your shoulders, there's also a lot to be said for having the peace of mind knowing that you have the capital that you need to grow and you have the resources available to you to be able to move your business forward. And I think a lot of people sometimes get caught up or hung up uh, more, more often than not when it comes to borrowing money on the fact that they're going to have to pay it back. Yes, that's great. You are going to have to pay it back and you do need to focus on that. But is it better to be able to Borrow the money that you need to grow and be able to grow at a pace that is realistic and um, and is is real versus trying to kind of bootstrap things and just kind of make it happen as as you can. I think there's value in both of those and it depends on the brand or the concept or your core values and what you're doing. But I think that for those of you who think that borrowing money isn't an option, I think that it comes down to what is your exit strategy? What's your goal? What's your desire to be done? What's your timeline? Because a lot of times what your core values are and what your expectations are and what your goals are, 
they need to align with what resources you have. And sometimes it's going to be better to borrow a little bit more to be able to really get yourself going than it is to necessarily kind of just get by um, and then and then not be able to either raise capital in the future or not have enough to get by. I have seen both things happen. And so I would just admonish those of you out there who are listening to this that it really comes down to what what your end results are, what your goals are, and um, and then you work from there. And don't discredit anything or don't push anything aside until you've really done your homework and really looked at what all those options are. So with that said, I'll get off my soapbox and thank you again for listening to this podcast and look forward to hearing from you about how we're doing and what you'd like to hear about, but also love to know what things we can help you with. So connect with us on social media, connect with us via email and let us know how we can help you in your business. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food, Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org. This Business Chef podcast was brought to you by the Culinary Technology Fund. To find out more about how you can make a difference in the lives of culinarians as well as creating a more sustainable food service industry, email us info at businesschef.org with Culinary Technology Fund in the subject line.